one thing that the uncertainty is the economic situation, which is probably more affecting tech than it ever has before. And that is going to bear on how much investment people are willing to put out there and how many chances they're willing to take on new technologies. I think a lot of investment that was made in virtual reality, we've tested it for years. We've had the goggles for years. We've had fantastic games and experiences. Even the most high resolution ones don't look very good right now. I think you're going to hear less and less about Meta in the next 90 days. Welcome to The Bike Lane. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Back with us today is John Quain, founder and editor-in-chief of OnTheRoadToAutonomy.com. John's a technology journalist veteran and contributor to The New York Times, contributing editor at Tom's Guide, and columnist converting smart cities for digital trends. John's one of my favorite kind of journalists, a hands-on techie just like me. He regularly is testing, reviewing, researching, and challenging the status quo. He's a firm believer in the value of autonomous vehicles and their ability to save lives while reducing pollution. John founded On the Road to Autonomy, a weekly online guide to developments and news about connected and autonomous vehicles. John, welcome back to the bike lane. Good to be here. It's been 90 days since CES, and it feels like it's been a year what, what trends have you seen at CES and, and how have those trends changed in the last 90 days slash year since the show? Well, it's really been slow. There wasn't a lot of news, like new technology at CES. There wasn't a new display technology or some new mobility thing. Okay, there was the flying car that actually did. <laughs> They're actually testing now, believe it or not, after all these years, there was that um, and spoke to them. Uh, but uh, matter was one thing that connected mm -hmm. standard that everybody's talked about. I mean, people trying to solve the smart home problem and they keep hyping it, but it's really big players were not endorsing it like Panasonic, for example. Yeah. I think Belkin just backed out too, or, or someone big just backed out. I saw out of it and probably cause they said they can't make money without any differentiation, right. Of the, of the feature set. And it also, we have it already. I mean, it's too little too, little too late. It's called Alexa. And it's already doing that for most consumers. That's really all they need. And once they have that, they can kind of set up a lot of different things in their home and they don't need to worry about these issues anymore. So uh, there, there's been quite a lot uh, that was shown. And I mean, I'll, I'll give kudos. It's it's really been three years since we had a proper CES, proper international tech show with international attendees. So at least now, like the vaporware and innovation theater gets shut down in 90 days, not like nine months or three years. So we're seeing an acceleration where I don't feel like it's Reddit that decides what wins or loses anymore. It's actual business, but we're seeing good ideas go to the top and and um, things that shouldn't stick around uh, follow one of Warren Buffett's top 10. One of my favorite, no one to quit, right? Well, there, you know, I was just thinking one of the weird, oddest, weirdest things, because I cover the health, you know, technology uh, area as well and um, have for many years. And there's some really interesting things like you connect an ultrasound device to your smartphone. And there are devices like that that have been out there for a while that are useful and you can use them in remote areas and doctors can have access to um, more advanced diagnostic equipment because of things like that. But one of the most recent trends was everybody, not everybody, there were about half a dozen companies showing toilets that would analyze your urine. Mm -hmm. So 
that one, <laughs> that I understand why, you know, and going to the doctor's office and all of that. But uh, that one sort of sort of stretched my imagination. Going, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to buy something like that for the home. I guess arguably it's less invasive than Theranos and maybe quite possible. I mean, it couldn't be any less qualified than Theranos. So uh, we're, we're making some moves in the correct direction there. Right. I mean, it, I think people were really thinking pandemic and I don't want to leave the house. What technology can I use? Yeah. To make so I don't have to leave the house. Yeah, it's and that was another thing, you know. Yeah, I, I'll add that that I was um, pleasantly surprised to see Quantified Self is mostly dead or dead. I'll call it dead. I'm going to call it right here on the bike lane that Quantified Self is dead. So there there are some legitimate use cases for performance and health that it's there, which is not Quantified Self, but the uh, the connected water bottle that tells you how much water you're drinking a day. Didn't see that. Um, didn't see that, that type of a vibe at the show this year. It was more of like, like really what's in it for the user or if it's a B2B product. I, I'll add, I did see something kind of cool that I think kind of will go into a little something later in the conversation is, is connected coffee machines. And there were, uh, it went from like, I want to start brewing my coffee years ago and not the connected toaster connected coffee machine makes a little more sense, but these were like actual connected, uh, espresso machines that'll help you pour a better shot and improve the quality. So quality improvement via connectivity, I think makes a ton of sense, um, it, for the people that are passionate about that, but for everybody else, they'll just scan their, their Starbucks app and roll through the drive through or, or walk in and for our city people listening. So, uh, but that, I, I thought that was kind of nice to see some little more progression away from the connected toasters. I, well, it's funny you bring up the connected coffee maker. So I recently tested, I mean, I tested one of the first ones, which was a Mr. Coffee that had Wemo in it, like Belkins. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Not 10 years ago, but it was a while ago. And I actually loved it because I could start the coffee without getting out of bed. Like I didn't have to set a timer and I didn't have to set an alarm or anything like that. I could just reach over, grab my phone and press a button and start the coffee. So that was like the lazy factor of why you would want it connected. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer convenience. Sounds a little more like on the positive side of that, but that's okay. We'll, we'll go with lazy. Right. So, well, okay. Convenience. So fast forward to now, I tested uh, for dealer scope, a, a coffee machine. I love a GE cafe, which is a $300, uh, you know, it rains down. It does the coffee. It actually makes your coffee taste a lot better it really does but the other day it's a connected coffee maker and it started flashing the descaling mm. light at me hmm. so what did i do i went and descaled it not my favorite task in the world to descale a coffee machine mm -hmm. but i've done it twice it's still flashing descaling uh -oh. and i can't get it to turn off and so ignorance is bliss in a way, if I didn't have this fancy machine that was connected and had all that, you know, an app to it, I wouldn't even know about that. And then I wouldn't be bothered by it. And, you know, life would be simpler in a way. Yes. For all those product developers in the food industry, we need auto descaling and auto clean cycles with the tablets. If you can grind the beans and mix in all the milk products, we, let's get that descale function in there. <laughs> Maybe charge an extra $300 and save that lazy slash convenience uh, improvements there. <laughs> Yeah, there, and we'll we'll get into some tech and and talk about tech and how it relates uh, into the bike lane here in, in a moment. Let's talk about e-bikes. So you've been reviewing e-bikes. Uh, what trends have you been seeing? A lot of discussion around batteries, not and not just the batteries themselves, but the downstream effect, uh, which ends up going uh, upstream into buildings and everything else. So so what are you seeing out there, John? Well, I mean, the, the, just in the terms of tr uh, trends and products. Um, 
last bike I looked at was a specialized Cuomo bike. And, you know, everything's now hidden in the bike. There's not this old, you know, strap the battery onto the down tube kind of thing. I mean, some manufacturers like Trek are still doing that, but really it's going the way specialized and people are doing it. It's going to be much more subtle and hidden. You won't even notice some bikes have a battery that's hidden in the down tube. Mm-hmm. And, and the specialized bike didn't even have a display or controller on the bike. Mm-hmm. It just has one button basically to turn it on mm-hmm. at three different levels and simplicity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, torque matching and everything so you barely even realize it's an e-bike that's a big trend i think that you'll see more of people don't want uh, necessarily to have all the the widgets on their bike and the gps going and tracking how fast they're going or where they're going uh they just want to get on a bike and ride and this is a way to make those bikes available and give you that pedal assist just make it a little easier mm-hmm. for you so they, i think that's a big trend in these bikes the other as you mentioned is the battery issue and fires uh, new york city has uh, just launched a program and an initiative because we've had about 220 fires uh compared to you know a couple of years ago where there were 20. <laughs> so a big increase and these are uh high temperature fast moving fires that are caused by lithium ion batteries. Anyone who's watched one of those Teslas blow up on the highway on a YouTube video, you can see how fast it happens and how quickly it takes off. Mostly the result of places trying to charge 20, 30 batteries at once for you know messenger delivery bikes and stuff not using the same transformer for the same battery, mismatching them. Mm-hmm. The folks at Bosch who make a lot of these systems for um, e-bikes, you know, turnkey almost, have been trying to emphasize the danger of some of the battery usage mm-hmm. that people are doing and mismatching just the transformers, let alone taking cells. Uh, some of these people actually disassemble the lithium-ion batteries when they're going bad and try to add cells. And this has just caused innumerable problems. Also in Manhattan, and there's a giant 680 apartment building near me, they've completely banned e-bikes. And a number of buildings are doing that. They can't be in bike storage. You can't take one up to your apartment. And that's all because of this sudden trend of these problems in cheap e-bikes. So that's sort of going to be a more of an issue now. I've been tracking pretty closely from the bike industry perspective, and I think education is definitely there. It became kind of the wild west, and then um, with with various manufacturers that um, may not have any certification, or worst case scenario, are claiming certification, and then consumers weren't thinking about the dangers of, of having unregulated product or product that like gray level accreditation along with it. That's a real issue. I mean, it's. As much as uh, everyone knew the taxi problem when Uber showed up about the medallions and all this, it's like they were generally safe. I mean, brakes work most of the time, but it's like they, you know, the vehicles had to be checked and and regulated. And I mean, clearly we're moving to regu- regulation at this point. And for products that are being used commercially, uh, you kind of wonder about duty cycles and and do they have the right software that's going to be used for this and managed. And uh, I, I think part of the challenge is that to do these things safely, it takes time and money. And that means that money is going to be passed along to the consumer and that time is going to be uh, delayed. So for companies that were just kind of, again, wild west of of e-mobility products as a whole, let's say, that's definitely changed. And um, not to mention the environmental uh, impact of uh, products that are um, just discarded and, and in landfills. So 
Um, I, I think that as we get a little bit into 2024 and 2025, these issues will largely be uh, taken care of. Uh, but, you know, there's there's definitely some work to be done as uh, more people. I mean, it's good that people want the product and understand the value of that product. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, it was like just something have a UL label on it. And that was the end all be all. And no one really looks for that anymore because, you know, we've just been safe. And I, th- I think we're going to get to that point with the e-mobility products. Yeah, I talked to a lot of people speaking of CES about this issue because uh, there were some battery makers there. There was a company, is it Vestel, that's in actually in Turkey, uh, a lot of their manufacturing. And they were talking about how they comply with all these different regulations in Europe that are mandatory. But then in the United States, it's the wild, wild west. There's basically no regulation. There are some basic regulations about bicycles, you know, pedal positions, brakes on them, how much, actually how much force you have to have on the hand on the brakes. There are regulations like that that you're mm-hmm. supposed to meet. Um, but there's nothing, not a thing for lithium ion batteries on these e-bikes, nothing in the United States. So that UL listing is probably the best one, according to some of the battery makers, Bosch and uh, this other company I was talking to, but it's not mandatory. So it's completely voluntary, um, you know, to consumers or anybody like that listening or a bike shop owner. Yes, that's what you should look for. Get at least that on the bike only handle bikes like that, only buy bikes that have that UL approval. Um, and that that's, you know, definitely helpful certification, but it's frustrating sometimes that country's so mm-hmm. resistant to any kind of regulation. And of course, if you have a small business, we've been there. Yes, dealing with regulations is a problem, but this is one of the reasons why you really need something mandatory and try to have some enforcement. New York City wants to, and they're looking at the UL one and maybe applying mm-hmm. that on a local municipal level and saying you can't sell bikes or scooters that don't meet that, uh, that's probably going to happen here. Yeah, we'll, we'll be tracking that. And for the riders out for activity or sport uh, or even competition out with e-bike competitions, it's trails are kind of going that same route where you need to have a ca- like only certain category e-bikes will be allowed on certain trails. And um, I mean, it, it first and foremost goes, comes down to a safety issue is that, uh, you know, being on rail trails or, or like even in a city and you get blasted by a, a throttled unregulated e-bike going 36, 38 miles an hour. That, that's not cool. So like being, being clear about like, okay, what, where do you draw that line between, and that's not a new argument. That's way pre pandemic too, is like, like, where do you draw the line between a motorcycle and a, and a pedal assist e-bike? And I, I think that line's been drawn pretty clearly and there's been industry alignment around that. I, hopefully the the safety issues around our e-products are, are the same. And, uh, and John, I, I expect we're going to be seeing similar issues on the road as well with, with vehicles as uh, more and more vehicles are coming out by issue. I mean um, like when there is a uh, like a fender bender, even like a fender bender with a uh, like a, you can smell gasoline coming out of a car. If, if there is an issue, it's rare, but you, you certainly can smell that. Um, you're not going to, it's a little harder to notice when there, there's a battery event going on, on a fender bender or some other, you hit some debris on the roadway. Uh, like there, there's other things that just, uh, as more and more e- electric vehicles are on the road, there, there's, it's going to increase awareness. So increase safety, but also increase awareness about, uh, how to safely use the products. Yes. I mean, in most vehicles, the software should tell you. Um, you know, products from Ford and GM, for example, have much more advanced uh, battery monitoring software that goes on and can tell if there's going to be a runaway. Um, 
mm-hmm. overheating and they're very sophisticated. In fact, a lot of the cells are divided up now. So each one is protected. Mm-hmm. So if one goes down, they shut the whole system down. But you're right. Some education is going to be required there too among consumers because if your car shuts down and and people try to figure out ways to like basically hack it and turn it back on, you know, I can see that would yeah. be then you're going to have problems. Definitely. Yeah. Just like leveling up the understanding. So absolutely. And and for building managers, property managers, it's, it's always that tough thing because it, you ask the lawyers, I'm assuming they're going to err on the safe side of this and it can slow some things down even too much and better to be safe than sorry. So uh, I think that just these issues will be coming up to the forefront. Um, I doubt we'll see a lot going on in election year personally, but uh, we're about to get into election cycle, but uh, I'm confident the next 24 to 36 months, a lot of these issues will be resolved. Uh, Kind of trending on the same topic is that we're we're hitting hitting spring, summer right now. Uh, Larger cities, they're thinking about e-mobility. They want people back in the cities. So we got, we got to talk about this because like scootering up, down e-bikes, lanes being repurposed, car only, bike only, EV only. I mean, in like all this, like what's going on in Paris right now. So I, there, there's a lot to cover there. So, so let's start off there with, with Europe and some of these moves and trendings around e-mobility in cities to, to get people, whether they're residents or tourists around. So John, what, what's going on there? Well, the big news, I guess there was in Paris, as you alluded to, they uh, had a referendum it was a separate referendum um, because they like to vote on everything and they like to protest things when they don't like them mm-hmm. uh, as everybody's what's really going on there now with the pension issue. But um, they had a referendum about these e-scooters, uh, specifically rental e-scooters like Lime, Bird, you know, those companies um, that started a lot of this trend. And 89% of the voters said, no, they wanted to ban them. They wanted them out you know, no. So uh, they are going to end a lot of the contracts end in August in Paris. And the mayor said she's going to uh, follow through on that referendum and uh, eliminate rental e-scooters in uh, in Paris. Uh, if you've been in Tel Aviv or L.A. or some of these cities before, you've seen what some of the problems they're facing and dealing with. Um, in Tel Aviv, in, in Israel, they actually had to finally institute some laws because people were drunk and on these scooters all over the sidewalks, on the street, back onto the sidewalks. It was a nightmare. Um, and then they would also dump them when they left them, which is the biggest complaint. Santa Monica, the same thing. There are signs, you know, not to ride them in certain places. Tourists come in, people from out of town and ignored all the rules. And then again, dumped the bikes on the beach when they were sort of done with them. So Parisians got fed up (laughs) and the consensus there seemed to be, I'll walk. Thank you very much. Um, So, you know, in in terms of how much good they were doing and in terms of reducing pollution and stuff is very debatable in a city that has a major public transit system Mm -hmm. like they do with the, the metro and like we do in New York City with the subway. Um, So I think it is the death of the rental e-scooter in a lot of these major metropolitan areas when they have alternatives in place. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it it made sense during COVID where people didn't want to get on mass transit in some of these systems, but that's not an issue anymore. And I think some of these businesses are going to have a hard time making a go of it. Interesting point you're bringing up about uh, mass transit options. Um, there is something to be said in New York about being in the spring before it gets too hot and just grabbing a bike or scooter and just 
cruising and checking out the sights and the sounds, what's going to be left? So if you're in Paris, I, and I don't know the the details on this, but let's just kind of think a little bit wider here is like, there, there's kind of, uh, and there's clearly Venn diagram over, overlap here, but on one hand, you've got somebody commuting in from one um, one section of, of a city to another, and that person finds that the fastest, cheapest way to do it is is by some two-wheeled mobility device, whether it's analog, which is now what we're calling leg-powered, uh, all the way to E. The other side of this is is someone that's, that's uh, visiting and wants to just kind of get around, but not have the, uh, and, the, and I, I could say for, as a, as a person that spent, I spent a, a good chunk of my life one week, a month at a time in New York city. Uh, the subway in New York is not exactly the most, um, easy to get around compared to like Hong Kong or some other areas with like very clear signs and, and, uh, very clear, uh, easy to understand language on the, of, of like where you're at and what's going on or express trains and how to move through. So I, I'm just kind of curious where you think things are going to settle in or, or what are some of the drivers for this for, for, uh, both on a local resident that's using as a commuting product versus a, uh, someone that that's visiting. I think, uh, uh, which is good for the bike lane. I think bicycles are, you know, the scooter was a trend. It was cute. It seemed like I could take it somewhere and inside and it seemed attractive in the sense that I didn't have to leave it outside. I could bring it in very easily. But for example, they've never been legal in Manhattan, the rental e-scooters. Mm -hmm. And for a good reason, it would it's already they you know they're they don't enforce regulations. So to your point earlier about there are electric Vespas in the bike lanes in Manhattan and they never get pulled over and they're huge and people do get hit. There are fatalities. Um, you know, it is a problem. We haven't enforced it. So the, the same thing with the e-scooters, if they let those go, that would really be a bad idea with the clutter that we already have in New York city. So I think bicycles are, are, I think people will look back and go, that was actually a pretty good idea. We like those, you know, um, they're bigger. I can carry stuff on a bike. I'm more visible in traffic situations on a bicycle. It's certainly safer than a scooter on the streets of Manhattan. And I ride a bicycle and test scooters and things like that uh, there as well. So um, I think it, those people, if they still wanted that, will now sort of reconsider a bicycle. It's not better idea in many ways. And if scooters may be on the way out in some cities, certainly Paris, uh, and you, you, a great point you mentioned about being able to just grab it, bring it inside and not get the, the death stare from the doorman. Um, <laughs> like I, I've been there uh, on the Upper East Side for sure. Um, yeah. So like, I, I'm kind of curious that it sounds, it's kind of like the vehicle thing. It's like, if you want to reduce, remove vehicles, remove parking, well, if you want to add bicycles, you have to add parking, right? Like add secure storage for the, for the, for the bikes. Right. I did wonder about that during the pandemic and I would, uh, in, in waning days of it. And even now we'll ask people, can I bring a bike? Like, have you got a place to store my bike? If I come for a demo at your office in midtown Manhattan? And the answer usually is no, you know, <laughs> there isn't any place. You can't park a bike outside. You cannot lock it up because within a few minutes it will be stolen. Yeah. Just as a fact any kind of lock that you try it'll be stolen yeah people walk around with liquid nitrogen like you know that that's it's just not a thing so that's definitely a problem and it's actually is a related problem to the e-bikes again yeah. because part of the mayor adams initiative is oh we want to have e-bikes available at public housing you know at at low income in into areas where there aren't such transportation options 
and we want to have those city bikes available mm -hmm. and and charging but to charge something outside is not really practical either because if it was my bike it would get stolen you know there's no question it would get stolen yep so you're right that that's an issue making it easy even at nyu um at new york university one of the buildings i had a class in did have an area like a room downstairs in one but it's really just not common and again if you cycle to class where do you leave your bike yeah you know you need a safe place in my hometown in metro detroit in ferndale we, we put in a new parking structure and as part of it there is a uh, heavily video surveilled with double doors for bike parking and uh and we don't have uh thieves that are that sophisticated walking around with with liquid nitrogen tanks so uh <laughs> the other thing is like you can get a membership there and you can leave a, a much heavier lock than like a like the uh forget about it i believe it's called the kryptonite chain that you see in new york city but for um i'm sure folks in the industry know what that is uh on the bike industry but there there are these looks like, I mean, it must be like a 40 pound chain that, that, that kryptonite sells and probably some other brands sell these things as well. And, uh, that you could actually just leave it there, which for, I, I remember when I was working in New York, that was very common as you'd see the chains outside of, uh, office buildings and, um, uh, lower Manhattan. And that's where people just left the, I mean, you're not going to steal the chain per se, right. you want the bike with it. So, uh, that's, that was kind of common, but like that, that seemed to be a solution with new parking infrastructure that they came into my town. But when you're in a, a, a dense urban environment, uh, there's probably gonna have to be a, sh a shift where just like we're seeing in parking decks, they've got the e-charging stations for vehicle spots. And, um, I, I forget the number, but it's, it's, it's a five figure number per parking space on average in the country, uh, in a, in a deck, but converting four or five of those spaces over to uh, a highly dense way of securely storing bicycles makes sense where there was a kind of a unique product that I've also seen around the U S which were like these bicycle lockers, but they were not very efficient use of space. So you'd get like three of them for parking space. And it, they were kind of like hidden and complicated and not right out in front and center. And like you said, like the room in the basement at NYU, it's like, it's, if you want people to be using that form of transportation, you have to remove barriers for that, both uh, equity barriers and, and low-income communities, uh, but also barriers for where, wherever you're going. So if, if you want to just get more cars off the road in certain spots, you got to make it more convenient. So I think the system is going to be improving with the infrastructure bill, which we're going to get to in a second. But uh, there, there's kind of like these, like, like uh, going back to my chain analogy, the weakest link of the chain right now within uh, commuting is, is still things like where do you park this thing without it with, with knowing it's going to be there when you get back. And if you're, if it's an e-product, where are you going to park and charge? It? Right. Early on in the day, my pitch about e-bikes was you get the office and not be sweaty. You know, if, if you've got a few hills on your route, mm -hmm. that's fine. An e-bike is going to get you past them and, and you can wear your suit in and actually not be sweaty. But then to your point, okay, now I got here now, what do I do with the bike? Um, so yeah, it's definitely an issue and you're right. The making it accessible and easy to do, um, is, is definitely needed. Yeah. And it, around, uh, accessible and, and easy, we've got the infrastructure bill. So, uh, this has been largely talked about for the past six months and recently the safe streets for all SS4A and smart grant awards have been sent out. Uh, while um, uh, ver by many cities have received these awards, uh, very few of them are implementation. Uh, the majority are planning um, by by uh, numbers and uh, dollars. I think some of the things that we're seeing out of this is now we've got a just 
influx of planners, designers, city engineers, uh, DPW people uh, reaching out to companies like like our company and, and our, our partners, and many of them are members of our Vulnerable Road User Safety Consortium at SAE, ITC, which is fantastic. Uh, however, there's a lot of fragmentation there. And what's going to work in New York isn't necessarily going to work in San Francisco, isn't necessarily going to work in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and Columbus, Ohio actually was one of the first cities in the, in the country to get a, a large mobility related grant. Uh, it was like five or eight years ago, something like that. And um, now they've got an implementation um, SS4A grant. So I think that the main thing that that we're tracking is how do we make sure that what we're doing is ubiquitous for industry? Because like we were talking about earlier at a CES it, around these standards is that if we don't have these standards set and there isn't a solution, I mean, John, you, you, you mentioned, I agree hundred percent that Alexa and you can get into a system already has it, but as, as a, as a product manufacturer, whether it's a vehicle, bicycle, um, even a, even if you're a manufacturer of traffic lights, it's, uh, or the data provider that grabs them without a, a standard around this, uh, it's not going to happen. So in that chicken and egg, which we've been working in the last eight years, we're now finally seeing money being distributed to cities. People are now, it's created demand, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent on, uh, how you feel about this politically. It has created demand for these types of products, which solved the chicken and egg problem. So now we're seeing those, those standards asking. So I, I think the, the thing that mostly we're thinking about, and we're going to get some of the tech here in a second, but it's like, as the money's being deployed, you know, how, like, what, what are we expecting cities to, to do, uh, to make sure that they're taking care of their, their residents, but also, uh, promoting things in such a way that would be good for the country and possibly on an international basis too. Cause you know, most of the people that make these bikes and cars, they're not just making them for the US or for Europe. It, it's a global, global product market. Yeah. And in fact, you know, you mentioned the infrastructure bill. So actually, Mayor Adams had mentioned as part of this um, e-bike initiative to try to make things safer and educate the public, they actually mentioned picking up some of the money from that toward um, looking at increased bike lanes, um, allowing e-bikes into the what they call green uh, areas, which are basically the West side. People have been riding e-bikes on them anyway. I got to let the mayor know. And I'm on the um, on the east side, Esplanade, and people are riding e-bikes already there. So mm-hmm. not much of a change, but they're going to be looking at some of these things and developing more of those lanes and probably trying different things in terms of you know left-hand turn lanes and special lanes you see in other cities for bikes to make some of that safer. Because right now we have those you know, physically separate from most of the stretch bike lanes in some avenues. But then if you have to turn anywhere, you're back into traffic and you're back into the danger zone again as a cyclist. Mm-hmm. And people are all over the place because there's sort of no rules about it. So maybe I know that's one of the initiatives. Um, and then we get into the technology that I like, but takes tremendous infrastructure, you know, the sensors and those kinds of systems that I know you've been involved with in the past. Yeah. Some updates to share uh, with our our listeners is uh, we have been very active on sensors and wireless tech. And as part of the SS4A and smart grants, really what we're catching out of this is even with implementation is that there's uh, kind of two sides of this. One is this this uh, in theory concept, which kind of goes back to the, the John Chambers uh, Intel $19 trillion IOT market, um, which was like, you know, we're still waiting for that day, but it, it may be coming um, where everything's connected to everything. Uh, and the, the future, as they would say, the, the other way to look at this is that we have a, a select 
group and maybe it's a, f- a control group of 5% of people that are out there using e-mobility products, which maybe are rentals. So we're covering um, like a lot of different uh, uh, income levels. So it's not just the the ultra elite uh, fashionista sports cyclist uh, Lycra clad, you know, you could say whatever you want there. <laughs> One end of the spectrum is everyone's connected all the time to everything to, and everything's connected to everyone. The other end of it is like, well, what if we use some tech on people that already have tech, um, whether it's infrastructure, car, bike, scooter, you name it, to then pull data, which would then justify and warrant city officials to use that data to uh, improve concrete, asphalt, paint, and, you know, like d- different differentiators in the road. And I, I can tell you from um, just like data point of one company here is that we're hearing a lot more of the latter. We're hearing a lot more of we would like to g- gather data from the products to then help us have better design. And I'm really excited to hear that because as much as we we work hard to make sure that equity and inclusion is, is part of everything that we do around our tech, we're never going to be as good in tech with equity and inclusion as we would be if it was really for the purposes of just better design of how people are moving through cities. And that's that's something I'm really excited about is using tech to, to improve design and have a continuous design improvement process through tech. Yeah, I think for any urban planners, you know, they're already calling data from everything from dating apps to, you know, ways and things like that. Um, strangely enough, because you can learn an awful lot about traffic patterns, um, you know, people when they go on vacations, it's just been there's a Passover or Easter is there more traffic in the morning now than in the afternoon. Um, and those things are constantly changing. So having more data from some of these sensors would certainly help to give like on the street level information and you can aggregate it anonymously, but still learn an awful lot to your point about what to do and designing a situation to improve, let's say a traffic, um, uh, area that may see more accidents and how to fix those systems. Um, mm-hmm. But we do it in New York City a little bit, for example. But most of it is, you know, all about ROI. It's all about return on investment. Well, why do we have speed cameras in there? Yes, they want to reduce fatalities. And it was part of the previous mayor's, you know, zero uh, fatalities initiative. But a lot of it is revenue. You know, they have it situated in areas where, oh, there's a school there in the Bronx, in the South Bronx. Actually, there's no school there, but there are like three or four traffic mm-hmm. speed cameras there. So it's definitely, you know, they need some revenue and that there's, there's some justification to that. They're being asked to cut back everything in the budget by 4% citywide in New York City. So in light of that, to your point about the infrastructure bill, we can use all the help we can get as a municipality. And, you know, any way that a new technology can demonstrate there's some return on your investment here that helps move it forward. Definitely. Yeah. Looking, looking forward to see the, uh, uh, and we're just getting into the phase two for many of these uh, SS4A programs uh, for folks that put it or then their phase one for their planning that did not get the money to implement. Uh, they're they're going to be submitting to plans. So standards is something we're definitely looking for. Yeah. And uh, and then just like the outcomes. So outcomes that work for all residents, not just uh, folks that have fancy doodads, phones, bikes, cars, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, that, that's something I'm really looking forward to and uh, excited to have some data to back this up. And I, I feel like providing real data of how people are moving around and to your point is, is knowing it. Uh, last thing I'll throw in there is that that's not a new concept. I, I think that 
uh, Waze was one of the first companies to really show that a small group of users can make a large impact for everybody for the better. Right. Um, maybe if you live in my neighborhood, you might disagree because there's a lot of Wazers flying through the neighborhoods that probably would never be here if it wasn't for Waze. Um, I know New Yorkers, like everything's busy. There's or LA people. It's like there's traffic everywhere. But in the suburbs where we live here in Southeast Michigan, it's like, okay, uh, I-75, 696 backed up. So boom, everyone's like into the cutting through um, cut streets. But it, it, but in large part, it's it's like the, the concept of like using data to have better planning. And then like as if there are like a couple steps back to take five steps forward, you can then address those with again, traffic changes. And what we've done in my community is, is blocked off many streets and cut through streets with concrete uh, barriers and um, dead end signs. And that takes care of the issue. So, um, and then I think if you look at now versus 10 years ago, we're better now than we were then you can get there faster. And, um, uh, and I don't mean by driving faster, I, I mean, get there by, you know, having more options and using our public roadways to the fullest and, and the, uh, capacity that all of them have to get us from A to B. No, I, then to, to your point, I mean, that was sort of a ersatz urban planning from ways, because I remember in Los Angeles was one of the first places I saw exactly what you're describing happen on Sunset Boulevard because people realized, oh, I look at ways and I can go around this whole set of intersections if I cut through this neighborhood. And the traffic was so humongous through the neighborhood. They did exactly the same thing. They laid down concrete barriers at the end. So when you're staying at some places just off Sunset Boulevard, the Marquis Hotel there is a famous one where rock stars and stuff a stay. And you can't get on the sunset, even though it's right there, because they had to block it off because of ways drivers. So, so it is kind of this ersatz urban planning that just happens on the fly. Um, mm -hmm. A very interesting trend. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think we'll see with uh, e-mobility tech and uh, largely in part of the infrastructure bill focusing on vulnerable road users, VRUs, we're going to see that uh, equivalent of concrete uh, blocks or hopefully knocking down some concrete so that like maybe vehicles can't travel on those roads, but uh, e-mobility products can or travel through that 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 uh, block point. But opening it up, which uh, I, there's a lot of really cool and safe opportunity there. Yeah. And also for pedestrians, too, to your point uh, about the sensors and the technology, uh, auto the auto show is currently in New York City and some people from out of town from an, auto, an OEM that I won't even mention, but they stepped, they were trying to show me demonstrate a car and they stepped right into the bike lane, like had no idea it was there. <laughs> and again, because there's no enforcement in New York city, you're dealing with e-bikes on throttle bikes mm -hmm. that go over 30 miles an hour Yep, and there's no sound or anything. So yep, just inches away from being knocked down and there have been some fatalities. So it's definitely Again, you know, a barrier there, some sort of physical barrier or something to make people aware, uh, more aware in a city like that would be helpful. And to your point, though, you know, different solutions, different cities, different municipalities. It's going to look different other places. Yeah, hopefully on same standards. So different solutions, but let's let's keep the standards the same. And while we're while we're going there on standards, there has been some movement. Uh, Amazon Sidewalk, uh, Lora, which is uh, ultra low power, uh, uh, extremely long range, as they claim. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, we heard this from, uh, I remember at CES, the $19 trillion IOT where, and then next thing you know, we have connected water bottles and toasters and what have you. Um, 
I think that this this could be it finally, like like with uh, Amazon Sidewalk. And I don't think that everyone's going to switch to Amazon Sidewalk or all devices will, but it's definitely a move. And and what uh, what we're seeing here is that there's been discussion around um, uh, how much processing and brain power called edge compute happens on the device, whether it's on your phone or your handlebar or in the, the dashboard of your car versus how much processing is going to be happening um, on your, uh, on like in the, uh, in the cloud and the internet and then coming back. So if you're talking to Siri or Alexa, um, the question like how much of that happens on the phone versus going up and out. And, the, the challenge that I always saw with uh, in the IoT world in 2015 is that the bill material cost was expensive and then you had to have a data plan. And, and we saw that people, some people bought a data plan for their iPad or paid extra for their iPad data plan. But I think most people were like, all right, I, I'll just use that on Wi-Fi when I'm home because they carry two data plans for the family, their their home internet connection and their their home shared cell phone uh, provider connection. So now that Amazon's basically offering this for free or close to free and talking about this beyond just consumers, but also for commercial use for various sensors and the types of things that we're looking at in the bike lane, uh, work zone intrusion alarms, uh, uh, CO2 sensors, fire sensors, water sensors for where water is not supposed to be, flood sensors. That's a really interesting proposition. It's not the first time it happened. So Comcast, um, as, as many listeners that are Comcast users may remember, especially if you're a tech nerd like me, they offered uh, this thing. If you had a Comcast modem, which had Wi-Fi, which of course I have my Wi-Fi off and I use a separate uh, router, but like if you're using the, the the system, it would just automatically create this Comcast network. So as a Comcast subscriber, you can be near any home in the country with Comcast and, and access internet and it would be blocked off. So there wasn't a security concern uh, if you trust the system, of course. And uh, so the, so like, like bits and pieces of this have been tried, but I think for the first time we're actually seeing a, a company that that can put their money where their mouth is to say we're going to offer widespread, uh, ultra high range, low cost on the bill materials and extremely low or no cost for the data uh, to devices. So um, I, this is kind of the sort of thing that like I think we're kind of missing for a while is in you know companies like Nordic Semiconductor have chipsets that are very affordable that support this in products. So now we can maybe finally start seeing a more of that John Chambers connected world uh, happening. So. With all that being said, I, I think that um, I'm kind of curious, John, to get your take is like, the, like I, I've got a healthy dose of skepticism as well. But like, you know, you've seen this, you've seen this in multiple cycles. And this is not the first time that, that people have been touting about type of uh, free internet or we could put it in the devices. So, I mean, how do you take a, a move like this from, from a company as big as Amazon around uh around their sidewalk announcements well i think what's interesting about it to me is well a yes i mean because they're so big and have so many products and ring and things like that that are out there um that people are using uh so they have momentum and they you know but you know it's easier to join than than to fight them um on something like this for some manufacturers there are a couple of issues though that strike me one is the the obvious security issue the irony being that of course these are security products that will be that are initiating some of this move to try to do something like this but those sort of man in the middle attacks and things are real attacks now that people I don't know if anybody's seen the Kia challenge on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, how do I just did an article about, you know, five high tech ways to break into cars. It's amazing how quickly uh, thieves adapt to the technology and then it becomes spread on TikTok and everybody has it. So that's always a worry, especially when you have a somebody like Amazon. It's like Microsoft Windows. 
why are there so many viruses that attack you know windows because it's such a huge you know presents such a huge attack vector and amazon could become a big target the other one is there's an ad on tv now it's i can't remember the it's not xfinity but it's against it makes fun of t-mobile's 5g fixed wireless service because what it notes is when people go by with their cell phones they hop on and hit that node and take some of the data away and it actually slows down uh some of the service so uh, to their point which T-Mobile has got to have to do something about that because that can't go on. But uh, I don't have enough data. You know, I have a television. I have something like 40 devices in this house right where I am right now, all connected to the Internet. If somebody starts walking by or my neighbors are allowed to hop on my network, that would be a problem. But, you know, you could put that in the standard and say, look, you can't transmit more than 5K of data every mm -hmm. you know two minutes or something like that um but they're always bad actors i had a one system canaries um mm -hmm. camera system it wanted two megabytes on the network on the home network it was streaming two megabytes which just like killed the wi-fi because the program is like well, whatever that's what we want so if they control it keep it down to a dull roar it could be helpful and i could see other people saying you know i'm putting out a camera or another product coffee maker, what have you, I'm going to have to make it compatible with Amazon's, you know, system. Yeah. And going back, you, you had that article about the, how to, uh, like high tech car thefts and, and getting into like a digital, um, threats to vehicles. Uh, that's on, on the website, your website on the road to autonomy.com. We'll link to that in the, in the show notes. Um, I, I, I agree with you about the data, um, bandwidth issues. We actually had a similar issue with our cat camera that shoots out treats. There's actually two issues. One issue was the data it was taking. Uh, and I basically said, get that on our guest network. Cause I don't trust this, this company you bought it from <laughs> the other issue, which was funny is this thing actually spits out treats. So you, you, uh, you kind of, you flick this little icon for treats at the bottom of your phone screens, kind of cute. The UX factor for that spits out treats. Well, there's some bug where it didn't stop spitting out treats. So like, it just do, 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 just, and so like poor, poor Eva Kitty and, and our home has got like 30 treats and we're, we're miles and miles away. We can't do anything about it. So we're like, now we're freaking out that we, we just like over treated our, our cat. So, uh, but it, it, your, your point about like the, the data thing, I a hundred percent agree that it's um it needs to be managed. And I, I think that the, the concept of sharing for the better good and a couple couple use cases that I think makes makes a ton of sense is if we are uh, looking for types of vulnerable road users and we want to know where the vulnerable road users are and getting like traffic patterns, uh, the idea that uh, a reflector of a bike, which might be a bicycle, might be a smart reflector or um, I guess a speed sensor is then we have no way of attaching that to you or, or your like who you are. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess there's always the minority report argument where we could be tracking everything and anything, but it's the reality is like, like getting that low data of like where this went. Um, Apple's got this with their air tags. And uh, I think that there is some, some unique use cases that are going to be showing up from Amazon sidewalk from a tech perspective. And Laura was, was been looking for their, their breakout um, use case to, to get product market fit. I think from the Laura uh companies that have invested in that they got it the the biggest thing i'm i'm mostly interested in is getting some access to free data for people that are willing to share in a way that can be controlled and um 
I, I, I agree with your point about like when, when you have enough uh, people on one network, it becomes a big target. I 100% agree with that. I also think that if you have too many smaller networks that, that aren't going to be there, it makes it harder to get wider adoption. So uh, I, I just don't see cities doing the free Wi-Fi and going back to, man, that must have been 20 years ago. And they're like, oh, it was going to be a free Wi-Fi. Like it never, never happened. And you know, I, I think there's finally we, we might be seeing some, this is a, for me, this is the closest thing I've seen to it with a, with a healthy dose of skepticism we're going to see in years. Right. I, it's it's funny it's change, how attitudes change. So when Wi-Fi was was it still a new thing, I wrote an article in The New York Times and, and was talking about, you know, security on Wi-Fi and what you should do and how easy it was to hop on a neighbor's network at that time because I lived in an apartment building and uh I got a call from one of the editors saying, we can't tell, we can't encourage people to do something that's illegal. You know, we can't tell people how to do things that are illegal. I'm like, it's, it's not illegal to hop on somebody. It may not be a nice thing to do to hop on their Wi-Fi network, but it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, the, the luggage lost animals. Um, my daughter's cat went into the wall in a new building. They were renovating her apartment. And she brought the cat in and the cat disappeared. It went into a hole in the wall and into oh, wow. the building, an apartment wow. building. Worst experience of my life. I wish I had a, a tracker on that cat when that happened. We did get the cat back, but that was a frightening couple of hours. Mm. So yeah. And and the luggage. Remember this last holiday where thousands and thousands of people all lost their luggage and it was goodness knows where. Um, if we had a system like that in place you could have at least tracked where it was and said, well, I'm not going to wait at this airport for an hour and a half because it's in Minneapolis. I can right. go home, you know, Yeah. at least you would have some idea. So to your point, I, a lot of good use cases for it. Yes. And, and around sensor data for cities um, that want to get, and that can, for the, a lot of this, it just, I mean, and even in consumers, like the having water sensors in homes to uh, pre-alert on flood, uh, knowing when systems are connected or down. Um, those are all things that I think are in, incredibly useful and it allows, allows innovators to do what we do innovate. So, uh, yeah. the, but it also allows hackers to do what they do and that's hack. So, um, <laughs> I, I think from a safety perspective, we, we have, um, and we, we spent a lot of money into 5.9, uh, CV to X 5.9 gigahertz CV to X. Uh, it still has FCC, issues it's got to get through, but it's expensive, it's heavy, and it takes a lot of power. So that doesn't work on cell phones or analog bicyclists pedaling along or um, it, it, it's a challenge. So I, I think that as um, Tome, now part of Valtech, is like like we, we start off with Bluetooth as a, as a better option for equity and cost, but you know things like Sidewalk really opens up some possibilities. And it may not be Amazon Sidewalk, it might be Amazon doing this, which then drives uh, competition and market, which then takes some larger providers. On the other end of the extreme, you take someone like AT&T, they have a product called FirstNet, and it's uh, specific for first responders, and it's not cheap. So uh, and it shouldn't be, frankly, but like like that kind of competition kind of says like, all right, well, we can throw these types of uh, critical products on FirstNet, but you know, what if we were able to access a much wider audience with non, non-life non or death type situations and then tap into Amazon Sidewalk or something else? So it, I think that level of innovation is what we we uh, love and we love seeing this at CES and, and other big tech shows, but I, I think it's definitely going to be uh, becoming. So 
um, we're kind of looking ahead, John, is uh, you're, you're into so many different trends, which allows you to be very unique is, is like you're able to kind of do trend, trend spotting. So what are you seeing for the next 90 days? And um, what are you like unsure about between like now and, and next year? Like what, what, are, what are some of the hot things for you at the moment? Well, I mean, the one, one thing that the uncertainty is the economic situation, which is probably more affecting tech than it ever has before. Um, and that is is going to bear on how much investment people are willing to put out there and uh, how many chances they're willing to take on new technologies. I mean, the, the big trend is still, you know, the unstoppable force is the adoption of uh, electric vehicles, which is ramping up so faster than any analyst predicted anywhere and seems to be going faster than even when we revise numbers and say, well, you know, it's going to be even better. It, it's going beyond that. Uh, Pickup trucks, you know, um, they're already trying to, you know, pitch pickup trucks that have a 500 mile range. So things are moving quickly. And, and the, so the infrastructure is public infrastructure is going to hold that back a little bit. But the public clearly wants it. I think that's a that's a major, major trend. And I don't think Meta is going anywhere to come back to your point. <laughs> I think a lot of investment that was made in, um, you know, virtual reality, which is really what we're talking about. You know, you, we've tested it for years. We've had the goggles for years. We've had fantastic games and experiences. Even the most high resolution ones don't look very good right now. So it's not, I don't think that's, I think you're going to hear less and less about Meta in the next 90 days. Yeah, I'm I'm still wish I bought Google Glass. I'm I'm kind of pissed. That that would have been awesome for like <laughs> going, in 20 years for the throwback party. I'll be rocking the Google Glass, but uh um yeah, it's it, it's exciting and um I, I again going back to what we were talking about earlier is that we're we're seeing new ideas come out and they're the good ones are moving up, the bad ones are moving down. Uh so I I'd, I'd say the system's working. Yeah. So um Last thing, again, as part of always, and um, uh, as you're uh, welcome back to the show, of course, but uh, anything new you're listening to, viewing podcasts, blogs, books, et cetera, that uh, our viewers should check out? Well, obviously, on the road to autonomy.com, my website, I do, you know, it, it was really intended to track autonomous vehicles and ADAS systems and advanced technology for mobility, but I do electrification and all sorts of e-bikes and a lot of travel things. So on the road to autonomy.com is a place to go. The book I'm really keen on right now is something called The Dawn of Everything. It just came out in paperback. It's called The Dawn of Everything. It's by uh, David Wengro and David Graeber, uh, anthropologist and an archaeologist. It's a very different take on the history of humankind. Um, it upends a lot of our preconceived notions about civilization and the start of civilizations and what all that meant and was the agrarian lifestyle really what changed everything. It's all based on some of the latest archaeological findings. Totally fascinating. I managed to actually have dinner with uh, David Wengro uh, last week as he was giving a talk. Uh, but I recommend that book, Harley. It's the dawn of everything. Excellent. We'll drop an Amazon link in the show notes as well. And I'm going to be personally checking that out. So uh, John, it, it's so good having you on the show and back on the show. And uh, uh, for all the listeners, again, that's John Quain, founder and editor-in-chief of On the Road to Atomi.com. I'm your host, Jake Siegel. Thanks again for listening and see you next time in the bike lane.